This is Dr. Rob Harder with the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, making your world better. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? What are the biggest challenges? What are the biggest obstacles? How should nonprofits fundraise in an economy that is constantly changing? All of these reasons combined led me to start this show. And it's my hope that through this series, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear from effective leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy the show as together we hear how they are making their world better. As a leader of a nonprofit, you know firsthand how important it is to have the right technology, tools, and strategies in place to achieve your mission. Well, that's where Heller Consulting comes in. Heller Consulting is a premier consulting firm that specializes in helping nonprofit organizations achieve their goals through effective technology strategy and implementation. Whether you need help with technology roadmaps, CRM strategy, Salesforce, or Microsoft implementations, Team Heller has you covered. With Heller Consulting on your side, you can trust that you'll have the support you need to make the most of your organization's technology resources. Visit teamheller.com slash NLP to learn more. Again, that's teamheller.com slash NLP to learn more. Do your investments align with your values? Well, now's the time to increase your triple bottom line to better people, profit, and the planet. Amalgamated Investment Services, a division of America's socially responsible bank, has a deep-seated commitment to affecting systemic change through investments. By specializing in triple bottom line impact, they can help navigate the common hurdles experienced by nonprofit organizations and foundations. From creating a sustainable policy statement to avoiding the all-too-prevalent greenwashing. If you would like to join them in creating a more just and sustainable world, please visit amalgamatedbank.com slash nonprofit investing. Again, that's amalgamatedbank.com slash nonprofit investing. Securities offered through Infinix Investments Incorporated, member FINRA and SIPC. Amalgamated Investment Services is a trade name of Amalgamated Bank. Infinex and Amalgamated Bank are not affiliated. It has been so fun to have some of the bigger names in the finance and tech world on this show, from Amazon Web Services to Google. Now, today I have the privilege of interviewing the Visa Foundation's president. Now, much like Amazon Web Services and Google, all of you have heard of Visa. But I have a guess that few of you would know that Visa has a philanthropic arm to their company, the Visa Foundation. Now, the Visa Foundation was launched a few years ago, and on the show today is the president of the Visa Foundation, Graham McMillan. Graham will share about not only all the good work that they are doing, but we'll talk about the key lessons nonprofit leaders like you and I can learn from corporate philanthropies like Visa and more broadly, the work the Visa Foundation is doing globally. Enjoy today's show. Well, Graham, I'm so glad to have you on the show today. Uh, Visa launched their own foundation a few years back as their philanthropic platform focused on helping micro and small enterprises thrive through access and growth and resilience. Now, so I'm guessing, as I mentioned to you on the outset, I think everyone knows, of course, of Visa, but probably a lot of people do not know about the Visa Foundation. So why did Visa launch this foundation? Tell us a little bit more what Visa is hoping to accomplish through their foundation. Well, uh, Rob, thanks so much for the invitation to be here. Look forward to uh, telling a bit more about our story and that of our partners, even more importantly. Visa Foundation really is meant to support Visa's purpose by uh, uplifting everyone everywhere, by enabling financial inclusion for small businesses and communities, which you, which you spoke to. And really, uh, 
the, the, the attribution for the founding of Visa Foundation should go to our CEO, Al Kelly. When he became CEO of Visa uh, a little more than six, seven years ago, he felt that it was absolutely vital for a company like Visa with our breadth, our brand, the number of employees, the responsibility to our clients and communities to have a foundation to represent our values, uh, where we operate, where we live, and where we work. And so that is what we've been doing for about six and a half years now. That's great to know. And now it sounds like Visa is really seeking to support inclusive economies where individuals, businesses, and communities can really thrive. And you mentioned through grant making and investing, the Visa Foundation really prioritizes the growth of gender diverse and inclusive small and micro businesses. Why are these priorities and values so important to Visa? So when, uh, when the foundation was created, there were three broad areas that were part of the mandate, if you will. One, economic opportunity. Second, of course, as I've mentioned before, supporting communities where our employees live and work, and then more broadly helping communities that get affected by natural disasters around the, around the world. And when I arrived uh, a few years after the, 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 ins- the inception of the foundation, it was very clear that the economic opportunity pillar, that it was a desire to focus on the role that small and micro businesses could play to foster a more inclusive economy giving communities that have historically been excluded from participation and, and obviously realizing the benefits of, of economic inclusion, that by focusing on that, again, in, from a global perspective, because we do operate globally, that that was an important planting of the flag, if you will, what, what we stood for. But very early on, when I arrived, it just struck me that there was so much more to Visa and our brand and, and, our, and our employees that it, we, had, we had a set of values that were even more vital to uh, expressing to a set of stakeholders and to, to expressing in our grant making and investments, which we can spend a little bit more talking about how we go about our work. But yeah, as you said, that our focus on gender inclusion and equity, as well as other underrepresented communities around the world was vital because we know, and there are many statistics that show, and in, in the spirit of maybe being a little more specific and offering them, that for instance, in, in the United States, and this was a government a GAO uh, accounting office statistic that I read some years ago, that there's roughly $70 trillion of some liquid wealth in the United States. But only roughly one to three percent of it is controlled by uh, women and/or uh, underrepresented communities, and that's staggering when you really think about it, considering that amount of wealth. But what's more vital in understanding that it is, if we really think about empowering those individuals in the form of the institutions that they run, particularly from an investment standpoint, as well as from an enterprise standpoint, they're going to deploy that capital into communities that they know and understand. And so that's really where the crux of the opportunity in our estimation was saying that gender and underrepresented communities should really be at the center of our strategy and how we deploy both grants and investments. I couldn't agree with you more. And talk a bit more about your specific role. What have been some of the biggest surprises so far as you've ruled out the foundation? And I guess, let me ask, have you been there from the beginning? Have you been pretty much been at the helm once they launched this philanthropic platform? No, I, uh, in fact, uh, the foundation was created 2016, and I and I arrived roughly about 20, 2019. So there was some early work and the, the real foundational elements, putting in place the bylaws, the governance documents, the things that I mentioned. What do we want to be be about? And some initial grant making to some terrific organizations. When when I arrived, I had about I think it was about eight months of real intentional planning. Some of which I just described to you. Right, this this focus on on, on who we wanted to support, how we wanted to do it again. 
bringing in both grant meeting, of course, but impact investing. And we're really excited because we really conceived of this signature initiative, which we call our equitable access initiative. This what is a $200 million commitment over five years to support these small businesses, small micro businesses. And we were so excited to roll it out in the spring of 2020. Uh, but for anybody who's been alive since then, you would all, all remember that uh, something significant happened in uh, the spring of 2020, which of course was, was, uh, was the pandemic. And I just start off by saying that that was obviously one of the big surprises. You know, it's been tremendously exciting to be in the role and to working with this company, which I think has just done a tremendous amount of work to progress our centering purpose as a business, but then putting around it all of the tools necessary to be really, I think, an impactful company. But what, when, when one thinks, hey, we got to build this foundation and there's a lot of work to be done, I don't think I anticipated that there would be a global pandemic. But I'd add, actually, Rob, just on that point, is when we, there were moments where we thought, well, geez, should we change the direction of our commitment? Maybe we need to be about healthcare or, or something different. Um, vaccine distribution, well, obviously, I don't know that we knew that we needed that or could do that initially. But it was really in a conversation board and leadership of these that said, well, actually, we, can, we should do both because we know, in fact, the small businesses are going to be impacted, particularly the ones that we focused on. But also that there were communities that were in need and healthcare workers that needed support. And, and so, you know, the, the exciting thing was that we had you know, the leadership in the moment to, to really conceive both, but it really has been the impact of COVID over that period of time that I think has been one of the bigger surprises. And I had a second, and I had a second one, uh, and this is a bit more nuanced. We have deployed nearly $125 million of private market investments in our equitable access initiative to support this work. Uh, and hundred percent of that capital is invested in funds or other investment intermediaries. We don't directly invest in the small businesses. It's, it's not our skill set, and it's, it's not part of our theory of change, but those intermediaries, those fund managers, hundred percent of those fund managers are organizations that have leadership that is comprised of women and underrepresented communities. And that, to me, in the diligencing and creating of the pipeline and, and all of the work that goes in doing that, it's just been awe-inspiring opportunity that's there. There are so many great investable opportunities that both have the opportunity to generate an attractive return as well as the measurable impact that we see. And that, to me, has been maybe not a surprise or it's, it's a surprise that's been confirmed or, or, or something that I just think that we, uh, we should all be aware of. And I'd only encourage others uh, to really to, to understand that that opportunity is, is there and, and one can take advantage of. I'm glad. Thanks for getting the background on that. And I thought maybe we could just broaden out a little bit beyond Visa because you do a lot of work with philanthropy in general, of course. Let's talk about philanthropy as a whole. How can philanthropy today be optimized for impact, in your opinion, from what you've seen? Oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a big uh, question. <laughs> Well, I mean, so I, I, let me, let, if I might, uh, at the risk of being intergalactic in my response, I think philanthropy as a whole globally is so different based off of context. I am more comfortable talking about the context of U.S. philanthropy, given the, the tax laws and other things that we have to be mindful of, even though we are a global philanthropy, right? So it's being mindful of where we are based. Of course, how we deploy. So in the context of being a U.S.-based 
global philanthropy. There was, there's a lot to be said around evolution and change and, um, and, and modernization, if you will, of the approach. Because when you think about the construct of the private foundation, and that's really what we're talking about. I'm not talking about individuals giving, and there's so much of that where you never know that an individual is you know, going to leave a contribution in church or, or in, in, in synagogue or, or what have you, or, you know, the extra tip that they get to where the wage was, whatever that, that, that is so much about part of, in my mind, about being thoughtful of, and mindful of others that happens at a scale that we don't even really understand, but the institutional philanthropy that I think you're referring to, that was conceived of about 120 years ago. And it needs to be modernized. And I know there's a lot of efforts underway to be able to do so. I think one of the examples that I would say is, is a point of pride for us. So really to combine the two, as uh, your listeners would know, and you would know, private foundations that have an asset base are required by the IRS to disperse 5% of those assets every year. And I think there's some really interesting things to conceive of with that number, to change that number, to incentivize different types of giving. But for instance, you know, we've been at roughly seven to 8% and actually are targeting 10% this year to go above and beyond. And, and how are we doing that? Well, because we have a mindset about asset utilization, that we believe that the philanthropy needs to manifest our values and, and really creating incentives for board and governance and the culture of the foundation to really embrace that giving more or investing more, deploying more is, should be rewarded. And that frankly, the the regulations that incentivize that should probably reflect an evolution. Related to that, of course, is the investment side of things. And, and I'll let my colleagues that are focused on policy and advocacy around impact investing and, and, and sustainable investing speak to that more specifically, but there are a lot of opportunities to do that better. And I know that there is a lot of effort underway. We'll be right back. As a leader of a nonprofit, you know firsthand how important it is to have the right technology, tools, and strategies in place to achieve your mission. Well, that's where Heller Consulting comes in. Heller Consulting is a premier consulting firm that specializes in helping nonprofit organizations achieve their goals through effective technology strategy and implementation. Whether you need help with technology roadmaps, CRM strategy, Salesforce, or Microsoft implementations, Team Heller has you covered. With Heller Consulting on your side, you can trust that you'll have the support you need to make the most of your organization's technology resources. Visit teamheller.com slash NLP to learn more. Again, that's teamheller.com slash NLP to learn more. Do your investments align with your values? Well, now's the time to increase your triple bottom line to better people, profit, and the planet. Amalgamated Investment Services, a division of America's socially responsible bank, has a deep-seated commitment to affecting systemic change through investments. By specializing in triple bottom line impact, they can help navigate the common hurdles experienced by nonprofit organizations and foundations. From creating a sustainable policy statement to avoiding the all-too-prevalent greenwashing. If you would like to join them in creating a more just and sustainable world, please visit amalgamatedbank.com slash nonprofit investing. Again, that's amalgamatedbank.com slash nonprofit investing. Securities offered through Infinix Investments Incorporated, member FINRA and SIPC. Amalgamated Investment Services is a trade name of Amalgamated Bank. Infinex and Amalgamated Bank are not affiliated. Well, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. 
If this is your first time listening to us, I wanted to make sure you're aware of a whole group of other episodes with fascinating guests that I previously interviewed. Just go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. There you will find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country, including some from other countries, all trying to make their world better. And when you go to our website, you can also subscribe to my monthly leadership update in order to get more content, ask me questions, and join the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast community. Just look for the subscribe button, which is on the top right-hand side. It's a real easy process. Well, thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. Now, I really appreciate that. Thanks for giving a little bit of background. And, and I love the fact that you do have a global impact. Now, from what you've learned so far, what's some of the key lessons that the nonprofit sector as a whole can learn from, say, corporate philanthropies like Visa and more broadly, the work the Visa Foundation is doing globally? So let's broaden that a little bit. What, have, what are those lessons that you've learned that you think that, again, my listeners, that most of them are leaders of nonprofits or on boards of nonprofits? What are you learning and what could you pass on? I think... It's, it's fundamentally about the dynamic that exists between those that have capital and those that are seeking to have access to capital. And in my mind, philanthropy can continue to make progress around having a service mindset. And, and, and by that, I mean, at the end of the day, our job is to provide both the financial resources and in the case, oftentimes, a well-regarded and well-known foundations, brand, reputational lift. But then it really ultimately, the power resides in those who are implementing, those who are directly serving. And, and that too often that power dynamic is not equitable. And that I think I've seen the best in class organizations that are seeking funding or investment know the power that they have and have a better, do a better job of negotiating, if you will, the terms of that relationship, because we wouldn't be able to exist and be able to advance our mission without those partners. And so the partners that know what it is that they're trying to achieve are willing to help us learn. And, and of course, transparency around data and the impact, things that are going well, things that are not going well. It's really about a partnership. And that balance is when well-struck, that is what to me is most effective in this space. Because if you, if you don't have that equilibrium, then you know, things can go awry. I, it's just, there's too much of a track record of ineffective philanthropy, ineffective service provision when that balance is well struck. No, well said on that. I like that. And, you know, leadership, this podcast is all about leadership. And I was curious from your perspective, could you share a bit about the biggest challenges you're facing in leadership right now at the foundation and how are you tackling them? Well, I mean, I, when you're trying to address the hundreds of millions of small business, small micro businesses around the world that don't have access to capital training, other education support, it, it, it can see at times seem daunting. I mean, it's a, it's a big mountain to climb. Uh, and yet you have, you have to proceed because that, that is where the passion for any one of us who work at the Visa Foundation, and frankly, so many of my teammates who work at Visa, that, that passion exists and, and you you move forward knowing both from a value standpoint, but also from a results standpoint, the progress that one can make. And it's really a trick is ultimately being able to show that you are making progress, learning and adjusting where you need to. And when it's not working all together, scrapping it and trying something different. 
Uh, you, you have to be able to, 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 to own that. But ultimately, at the end of the day, my job and the role that I have as a person of the foundation is to create a set of conditions for the team to be successful. And the trick is they need to know what success looks like. And success is both determined by us, but I think ultimately it's determined by the communities that we're trying to impact. And when you get third-party validation, not so it's easy to be told you're wonderful when you're working with an organization that's getting money from that, I mean, that's just a natural thing to understand. Of course, they're going to say that. And actually, I'll be honest with you, the really authentic relationships will tell you, yes, we appreciate your money, but you could do this better. It goes back to the previous point. Of it. But when you see third-party validation in the community or small business owners said that this capital or, or, or training really transformed my business. It helped me to digitize my small business because, geez, before COVID, I was working in paper. And, I, and now, as a result of working with this partner, I've been able to evolve. And that, that to me, that part, that the third party validation, if you will, really confirms the progress that we can. And if your team sees that and you can create the enabling con- conditions or the enabling environment for them to make that progress, then that to me is where I think one can be an effective leader. Ultimately, at the end of the day, Rob, is when there is success, the team is, it, it's the team who gets recognized. When there's not success, that's my response. I like that approach to leadership. Yeah, that's a that's a great way to look at it. And I like how you said the third party validation. I think that's a, a good way to put it. When you have people in the community, we have others coming around saying, yes, this is effective. Yes, this is working. That's a great confirmation that you're making success. You're making an impact that's positive. Well, and it's just in when it's not, because this is hard stuff, right? I mean, Rob, you, you can appreciate this very well. You've been, you've been in this space a long time. And inherently, this is complicated. I mean, when we think about, we were talking about the pandemic earlier, I mean, the implications of a global pandemic, it, it is by definition complex. And, and, and the, 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 the length of time that we understand how the impacts are being manifest. And so, yeah, I think part of it is also creating a culture where you can ask questions, question the original assumptions, have a flexibility and resource allocation and, and strategy for that matter that ultimately makes you effective when dealing with change and, and that we are in the change business. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Talk more about that. You're in the change business. Uh, what do you mean by that? Just fill that a little bit more. Well, ultimately, do you work? So we have two mandates at, at Visa Foundation. Um, and, and I think for most of my colleagues in corporate philanthropy, this is pretty consistent and true. Of course, we have a mission mandate, right? And, and talked about our, our mission and, and what we're focused on. And of course, the other element is helping so many different communities and stakeholders understand Visa's story and what we stand for, our values. Uh, we're, we're really a, you know, a global company that adds tremendous value through the provision of our, our, our services with our clients and our partners around the world. And ultimately, to me, you have to be able to manifest that in the work that you do and to ultimately change that. But you know, t- I think the hard thing for me has been really understanding how we do that well and in a focused way that is consistent to uh, what we stand for. And I think the thing I'm most proud of thus far is that the, the team that I work with and the partners that we work with constantly evolve and adapt to the change and also drive the change. Because we know the change that we're trying to seek. When you're out there in the world, change happens. And there's been a lot of change uh, and we know it's going to happen and you have to adjust. So it's really the North Star change that you're seeking to have but knowing the path along the way, and if your team's adaptable and your partners are adaptable and you provide flexible funding 
Mm. You know, that we could spend a lot of time on just the nature of unrestricted funding relative to some of the hoops that a lot of philanthropy puts organizations. Uh, I'll just give you an example of when uh, the earliest days of the pandemic, one of the first things that we did, and again, this isn't anything other than, I think, sound philanthropy. And, and the choice to do this was inspired by others who will come, come before us. So I want to be very clear. We, don't, we have no point of pride except to say it's the right thing to do, which was unrestricted, any restricted grants that we had. There were too many challenges for us to continue to ask our partners to contort themselves to reporting on things when the conditions changed. And, and, and that just is an example of where, you know, that not notion of change. And so you can try to have a certain change and affect social change, but you also know the environment you just, you have to adapt to it. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I've had multiple people on the show now that have talked about that very thing. Oh, maybe to make, I'm sorry to interrupt Rob, just maybe to make a quick point on that. Cause I think you raise a really, a, a really important point. Go for it. You got it. So one, of, one of the interesting things that we have in the, in, in, in our, in our case is that we use both grant making as well as investments and called impact investments because we're trying to achieve a measurable impact. And on the investment side, and we, we do a range of different types of asset classes to venture capital, private equity to private debt. It really is a, a matching of the need uh, of, that, of, that, of that opportunity and that partner. When we, do, when we underwrite an investment, we're not underwriting the portion of the fund that we, or, and in turn, they're not underwriting just a portion of the business that they would invest. They're looking at the entire enterprise. We're looking at the entire enterprise. And yet in the past and frequently still, philanthropy looks at, we only want to support or invest in or buy that piece of the puzzle. You know, the entirety of the enterprise is less relevant to us. We want this and we want you to report on that. And, And I get it. There's historically probably because of issues around accountability and what whatever the case may be. But while, while we will underwriting plan, we really look at the enterprise as a whole and listen to them to sing what they want and what they need. And so we learned a lot on the investment side and apply that to the grant making. And I do think back to the question or how philanthropy might change. You know, there, there are ways for us to consider how, how the payout requirement might adjust. If you're doing nothing but unrestricted, you should be rewarded for that. How that manifests in a policy, I'm not going to suggest that, but really incentivizing the flexibility because at the end of the day, we know that when these enterprises have that maximum flexibility and unrestricted capital, they can invest in, and, and, and frankly, they should have leadership and governance that is accountable and manages that the appropriate way. It's not on us as the funder to tell them the right way or the wrong way. They don't, we don't know as much as they know. Uh, well said. And again, what you're saying, I think, is really music to the ears of CEOs and executive directors of nonprofits because, yes, you want that trust. You want the ability to have that flexibility again. And like I say, things can change, but to have someone who's so supportive and trust that the nonprofit knows best because they're on the ground uh, is so important. And in fact, I want to uh, ask the next question of overall, when it comes to foundations like the Visa Foundation, how can you all help with operations, efficiency, and impact of nonprofits across the country? Because I know you do so much with the investing side, if you will. You're, you're giving money, but you have a lot of skill set to pass on when it comes to operations, efficiency, and, and overall impact. Have you gotten into that place, or, or you kind of draw a boundary and say, that's not what our role is? That's a great point. And, and, and in so many ways, this is the promise of what corporate philanthropy can be. And I and I and I've been privileged to witness this with 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 other corporate foundations over the years that I've either worked with myself or 
witnessed from, from, from afar, that there is a value add that we can bring as a company that we really can. And I think you have to be optimized to do that well, so that the value that you both have agreed to, meaning your partner and you have agreed that you think you can uh, deliver is focused on that, but doesn't overwhelm because a large company like Visa can overwhelm a smaller nonprofit organization in, in an emerging market where we have to be very mindful of that dynamic. And so I would say we're in the early part of the journey of not only understanding the value that our capital can bring, our brand, I would add, and just the association, but also our people and our other services that we can offer. We're always, of course, very mindful of separating our philanthropy from our business. And by that, I mean the, the business interest, the commercial interest. We are really about community and impact and our key partners who are our stakeholders. So where we are making a lot of progress is actually in a program that we call Visa Foundation Gives, which is that one that we focus on place-based community where these employees live and work. And in fact, we uh, have a really terrific partnership with an organization called Tipping Point Community in the Bay Area in San Francisco, where we've been working for a number of years on advancing solutions to youth homelessness. Uh, and youth homelessness is a really distinct set of challenges. Um, there are a lot more complex, big scale challenges as it relates to homelessness, but youth homelessness, we see a lot of opportunity to really advance solutions. And another of the ways that we've seen that is actually coordinating among the service providers in the Bay Area. Um, and so what we've done is provide a $12 million three-year grant with Tipping Point Community that will then on-grant a number of these local community-based organizations. And then there's a coordination function, but then we're bringing our employees in to provide value-added services and skills to volunteers of employee engagement. So that's a leading example, in my opinion, where there's a lot of opportunity when you're in place. Now, of course, on our work with small businesses, there's a lot of skills that we can bring, particularly I, I'm excited about the, the, the evolution of digital, where so many of our small businesses that we're trying to support through these partners have to confront that challenge and change and adapt. And what our expertise is on digitization and transformation that way, I think is going to be really exciting. And we have, we have some progress to make there because we're still a new foundation. We want to do the right grant making and investing and then bring on that value out of our employee engagement. I like that. I like that balance of, yeah, you know, giving to directly to the nonprofit, but then also supporting your employees where they live and help them, you know, or encourage them to jump in and to volunteer and offer their uh, skill set. I think that's a great combination. Uh, this may be interesting to some of your listeners. How do people find out about uh, getting a grant? Is there an open process where you go online to the Visa Foundation and, and just apply for a grant? Or how does your grant making process work? We don't do open funding calls. I mean, of course, you can go to visa.com forward slash foundation, and there is a, a general inbox where you can reach us. Uh, and we're always open to good ideas and good partners. I would just say to, to, to your audience that hearing what you've heard, if you have an organization that's focused on supporting small micro businesses that has a particular focus on gender and underrepresented, underrepresented communities, or you have an investment fund that is focused on measurable impact and generating financial return. We'll figure out a way to hear you, or we may already know about you. You just haven't heard from us yet. And then as it relates to the community-based work, we have obviously office locations in certain places around the world. So of course, if you're in the Bay Area and you're working on youth homelessness, you'll hopefully be a part of this solution. Or for instance, our work in Singapore, where we have a big office, of course, and a number of employees, we're actually looking at food security. Uh, and so you might hear about us there, but Generally, we have to manage the inflow because, of course, there's so much demand and our ability to support 
uh, is challenging. But I do think that this goes back to philanthropy changing and evolving. We have to explore more inclusive and equitable ways to access our capital. It can't just be because you know me or you know one of my teammates. There have, and, there, and I think there's some really interesting solutions on the horizon, which in many ways actually reflects how Visa operates as a company. So there's a lot we can learn as a foundation from our colleagues at Visa to be more of a network, right? And a partnership in that regard. So I'm encouraged by what we can do. We just have to take, you know, we have to be disciplined and focused, Rob, because it, if we're not disciplined and focused, our ability to be effective and drive that measurable impact that our stakeholders, our board, our leadership cares about, we won't, we won't be effective there. But if we incorporate it into a plan, then I think we can actually evolve and innovate. I like that approach. I think that's excellent. Well, how can people find out a little bit more about you and the Visa Foundation? Well, again, as I said, uh, well, follow us on social and all my colleagues who run our hand, various handles at Visa, at Visa News, that those are some of the handles that you can follow us on. Of course, we have a LinkedIn page where our leadership is often quoted or has uh, pieces about the, le- the future direction of Visa or commitments that we've made, for instance, just to a month or so ago, our, our CEO, Al Kelly, uh, was at the Afri- U.S. Africa Business Leadership Council. I think that's the name of it. My apologies if it's not spot on, but we made a billion-dollar commitment to invest in Africa uh, over the next, I think it's 10 years, if I'm not mistaken. LinkedIn, you can see that type of stuff. So follow us on LinkedIn. And of course, for the foundation, visa.com forward slash foundation. And you can follow me on LinkedIn. That's I do a fair amount of, of posting of what we're up to and linking to actually the work that our partners are doing, because that's more interesting than anything that I have to say. We're here to really support and uplift them. And they have some really amazing content, I mean, really amazing content that really helps you feel connected to the work that they're doing. And if you feel inspired to go up and actually do something, a number of them actually have opportunities for you to not only donate to or invest into, but actually put your, you know, your, your time into um, and that's one of the things that we really want to do is shine a light on them. And then there's so many terrific opportunities to, to put, put your intent into action. Well, Graham, this has been excellent. Thank you so much for sharing your information, sharing your insights, and thanks for what you're doing to really bolster the nonprofit sector and, and Visa to give a billion dollars to Africa for uh, various things. That's incredible. I mean, you're making huge impacts. So again, thank you for your time and thanks for all you're doing. Rob, I just thank you again for shining a light on the work that we're doing and, and, and like hopefully everybody gets a chance to follow the work that our partners have and, and to just lean into the opportunity. I mean, that, that makes ultimately the difference. It's not just listening, but acting. And I think you're doing a great job of inspiring action. So thank you for the opportunity. Hey friends, well, I wanted you to know that this podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen to other podcasts. I also want to encourage you to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. This will actually help us get this great content out to more nonprofit leaders just like you. You can also join the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast community, find other resources and interviews of past guests all on my website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Well, thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep making your world better.